Hello everyone, it's your girl Teresa and welcome to Dear Future Hubby. Tonight I am your host, my name is Teresa Reese and y'all know how I do it. I am going to read a poem from my book of poetry and it's called A Strong-Willed Mind, Healing Scars Over Time Through My Poetry. The poem on tonight is going to be If you can do it. If you can do it, so can I. The words I can't when combined are a lie. I have watched you and I've listened quite a few times. I've even rehearsed a couple of lines. Is it meant to be or not? You see, what is God's true purpose for me? Desiring this answer has me chasing my destiny. You've inspired me to stay the course, to go get mine instead of envying yours. 15 minutes of fame? No, more like infinity. Because not trying to be like you brings out the divine in me. I am beautifully and wonderfully made. In fact, I am unique. If you can do it, so can I. The words I can't, when combined, are a lie. I was born to dream, conceive, achieve, and succeed. So that is my poem for this evening. And I pretty much just wanted to talk about believing in yourself. And I also wanted to discuss changing your mindset. So however that goes, however it flows, that's what we're going to do tonight. I hope that's all right. So um, in terms of changing your mindset, there was a conversation that I chimed in on earlier today. And the subject, I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember it verbatim, but it was something in terms of in order for you to have a million dollar business, you have got to have a million dollar mind. And so we kind of delve into the subject and started thinking about some of the childhood memories, the trauma that a few of us had encountered that shifted the way that we thought. Whenever someone is talking to you or demeaning you or being condescending, um, that could actually have a very, very, It could have a trickling effect. So it could be detrimental to your growth if you don't deal with it, if it lies dormant within you. And so as I was listening to some of the testimonies, of course, some of the, you know, testimonies, they resonated with me also simply because I could recall times that I've been pretty much told what I would not do, what I could not do, how I could not do it right. And when you are in the forming stages of your life and you're constantly being told what you cannot do, if you allow those tapes in your mind to keep on replaying, you begin to believe that all you can do is nothing. And so as I was listening to these ladies, the more I started thinking like, when did my thought process shift? When did I have a shifting in my mind that the previous words that were spoken over me were lies. And so, and when did I make up a decision? Like, when did I truly decide I'm no longer going to believe the lie? 
that I'm going to literally start to operate in truth and what it is that I believe that my creator has in store for me. And I can't quite pinpoint the time or the second or the minute when the shifting took place. But I do remember having my conversations change. So where someone would, you know, pretty much try to, I'm just going to use the example. If I remember one particular incident, I will never forget it, where I was in a meeting and it was a casual meeting, y'all. It wasn't even a, it wasn't even nothing serious. It's just like a casual meeting. And I remember asking, remember asking a series of questions and the person whom I called friend started getting anxious, I guess. I'm not quite sure, but ended up saying something to the effect of, don't be stupid, Teresa. And it caught me off guard. Like, you know how sometimes you get that, that feeling like, huh, who, who are you talking to? You know, <laughs> I had a moment. I had an actual moment where I was like, did I just hear my name in connection to that word? And I pulled her to the side because even I, I'm the type of person that I believe even when someone embarrasses or, or attempts to embarrass you, because they're not always successful, but even when someone attempts to embarrass you, what I have learned in my adult life is that I do not have to reciprocate that reaction. So what I chose to do was take the conversation outside of that atmosphere. And I made sure that I articulated that I'm not stupid. Now, my purpose and my intent of asking questions, I don't always care how someone else is going to perceive me when I'm asking a question. If at the end, I get the answer that I'm seeking in order for me to have the clarity that I need so that I can perform the way that I need to. So I literally was like, I didn't care if the perception of the people were like, oh my God, I can't believe she asked that question. Yes, I did ask that question and I'm expecting an answer. And so because I've had two brain surgeries and I don't look like what I've gone through, people have a tendency to have an unconscious bias toward what another person said was unseen disabilities. So because I don't look like what I went through, it's it makes people quick to be like, mm. but you don't know how my brain is processing the information that you're giving me. So I may have to ask you the same question multiple times in order for me to gather that information and in order for it to come together however I needed to come together to have a clear understanding. But because I don't have time to educate everybody on that and because I don't have time to expose every single like issue that I have in that moment, I don't mind them thinking whatever they want to think. So my conversation with this person was, that's not who I am. I don't identify with the word stupid. And the, the defense was, I just didn't want them to view you that way. I believe that however a person feels about you, it will always come out of their mouth. And I also believe that that's in the word of God. Whatever is on the inside is going to spring out eventually. And so even if this was a defense, 
the fact that this person whom I've labeled a friend would have the audacity to like literally put me on the same level as stupidity that helped me to see how this person truly viewed me whether they had thought it before and never said it or whether they you know so I just pretty much or whether they said it and they've been thinking it the whole time so once I gathered that truth from that situation regardless of how many apologies follow I can forgive you for the statement but the fact that the statement was made that's going to stay with me because now I know how you view me and if I know how you view me where I once considered the type of relationship that you and I had being solid and a friendship if I think that you view me or because of what you've said it seems as if you view me lesser than you let me do you a favor and remove myself from the equation because I never want to be in a situation where someone views me lesser than them I always want to be around people that see the value in me just like I see the value in them my understanding is that the word of God talks about edifying, to build each other up, that that's what we're supposed to do. And a lot of times, based on maybe childhood drama, insecurities, whatever the case may be, people have a tendency to hang around people that they feel that are lesser than them or doing worse than them to make themselves look better or feel better. All of that is a wrong intent. That's the wrong type of energy. I personally would love to be around people that build me up and I build them up and we're building each other up because this life is not easy by any means. The whole process of living, we have our good days, we have our bad days, we have th things occur unexpectedly all the time. The last thing that you need is to have someone in your life making you feel worse than you already feel if that's the case. So I learned a valuable lesson and, I, you know, I still love the person, but then you, you deal with people differently once you start to see how they view you. Good, bad, ugly, or indifferent. You just deal with them differently. And maybe part of that is of the process of guarding your heart. Maybe that is necessary to be like, okay, I, I need to, I don't need to be as close to you because if you're making these type of statements and it's in a very casual atmosphere, I don't want to see how dirty it could get if it becomes a very tense atmosphere. So instead of putting us in that situation where I would believe that you would defend me and then I find out later on that you're pretty much pushing me away for the sake of making yourself look good. I'm just going to remove myself from that situation altogether. Now, that may very much be my personal defense mechanism. Everybody has their vices. Everybody has their quirks and everybody has their pet peeves. We all do it. For me, I have learned through the course of my life that that is one of the things that I recognize quickly. And it could partially be because when I was growing up, it, I was very timid. I let people say whatever they wanted to say. I let people treat me however they wanted to treat me. They would do me wrong and, and justify it. I mean, have you ever been in that situation where like someone would do you wrong, but then they would find a way to justify their wrong actions as if you're the reason why it was done. And then you're scratching your head like, oh, maybe it was me. I mean, may, it could have. Did I? Did I do that? Huh? 
Maybe I did do. And then next thing you know, when you first entered the situation, you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that they had done you wrong. But by the end of their manipulative conversation, now you're scratching your head like, well, maybe I was the one that was in the wrong. Maybe this really didn't happen the way I thought it did. And so the more that I started to recognize that that was something that was taking place um, unconsciously, it wasn't consciously, I wasn't choosing to be around certain people to be manipulated. That's not what happened. It's just that because I did not have enough exposure to certain situations, I was quick to trust. And because I was quick to trust, a lot of times, because people do show you their representative, by the time I realized that this person may not be for me as much as I thought they were, the damage was already done. Now I'm trying to pick up the broken pieces. Now I'm trying to ask myself, how did I get here? How in the world did I get here? I thought it was my friend. I thought he was my friend. She was my friend. All of that because I didn't do the work in the beginning. All of that because I didn't vet the person in the beginning to even see if they were worthy of a friendship to begin with. And so I'm learning the older that I'm getting. I thank God for age. I thank God for grace. I thank God for mercy. I'm learning the older that I get that every person that crosses my path does not deserve my attention. Every person whose path I cross, I don't deserve their attention. And it's okay. But the older that I'm getting, it's like I understand now when people, the wiser people say, you know, if you can count your friends on one hand, you're good. Because I, I remember when I was in my teenage years, how it was so important to be popular. I wanted to be popular, but at what cost? At what cost of me being popular? And then was it even worth it? Okay, they know your name, but what is your name and your reputation affiliated with? Was it worth it? I mean, no, really, was it worth it to be popular? Mm -mm. Not in my opinion. Not for me, it wasn't. And so as I reflect, I now realize that the mind shifting is going more toward. It's not about who they say you are, Teresa. It's about who do you say you are? When you look in that mirror, do you see what you can accomplish? When you're listening to your affirmations, do you see yourself there? When you are reading the word of God, can you see yourself? Can you, can you put the blank in there and put your name there? Can you see yourself there? It makes a huge difference. From when I once was like, oh yeah, I don't deserve to put my name right there. And I still don't. But at the same time, I need to. Because that's how God views me. So I'm still not worthy of all the grace that he bestows upon me. But at the end of the day, he gave me permission to see myself the way he sees me. So why do I not do that? I should do that. I've started to do that. And it's made a world of difference in my life. I'm very, very mindful now of who I allow in my circle. First of all, because I love what peace looks like. I don't like what anxiety feels like. 
that was the majority of my life. The majority of my life, I have felt anxious about something. Not being accepted. Not making enough money. It's always been something. Not being in the right relationship. It's always been something. So it, at this chapter of my life, it feels good for that not to be my driving force. People please for what? No, I'm good. I'm so good. I trust God. I trust the choices. I trust when he says, mm, you may want to step away from this one. Listen to the conversation. Listen to the sarcasm. Listen to the underhanded jabs. Pay attention to stuff like that. Verbal abuse comes in all different sizes and shapes. And you just it, pay attention to that kind of stuff. Because sometimes you don't really know how a person thinks about you until you are in a public setting. The whole time that it's just you and him or you and her, it's like, oh, you're so this, you're so that. Then you get in a public setting and then it's like they are feeding off the energy of what they feel or how they think someone else views you. And all of that is projected onto you. So if you're dealing with the person that is trying their hardest to be accepted by the majority and then you get in a, in, a, in a situation and it's just like, well, I don't want them to think that, you know, that I think like her. So I'm going to just go ahead and put her down. That way they know that I'm not, a you know, I don't, mm -mm, I don't think like her. Honey, I'm on your side. So I'm learning that these experiences have come into my life to teach me things. Some of them I ignored. I paid the price later. Now I am starting to pay attention. And I really am starting to believe that rejection is God's protection. Some of the relationships that I fought so hard to stay in, I am grateful to God that he took my fingers and pulled one back, the other, the other, the other, and the other, and said, just let it go. And then I take a deep breath and I think about, who? wait a minute, it's been a week. I thought I was going to feel like this, Lord, when this person, if this person walked out of my life or if I left this situation. But wait a minute, I'm breathing a little bit better now. Hold up, wait a minute. I don't think I've had an anxiety attack in about a month. Huh. So could it have been that the conversations that I was having with this person, they, it wasn't building me up. It was slowly but surely tearing me down. And I didn't realize it until it was too late. It's been a lot of relationships with men. I'm 46 years old. So yeah, I don't just have one relationship, honey. I've had a few. But it's been a lot of relationships where I look back and I'm just like, at first, you know, you're devastated. You're just like, oh my God, I thought we were going to last forever. Why did it end? Why did it end? Oh, woe is me. Then you kind of do inventory of that relationship and you realize every time I looked up, we were arguing about something. Half the stuff that we were arguing about was always petty. This person didn't bring out the best in me. In fact, they brought out the worst in me. I really didn't like how I felt when I was in that relationship. Why in the world was I fighting so hard for it? Letting it go was one of the best things that happened to me because now I can breathe. So wherever you're at in life, 
I really, really do hope that you're doing a personal inventory on yourself, dear future hubby, that you are trying to figure out the things that you cannot do. <laughs> I believe that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. However, and that you're also thinking about all the things that you can do. Just so that whenever our paths cross, we're at a, a place of peace. We're at a place of just like sheer serenity and then joy in knowing that before our paths crossed, we opted to do the work. To just think about all the friends that have left our lives, some of the associates that have walked out. But at the end of the day, whatever remained, that was what was meant to be there for the next phase of our life. So I'm going to conclude this podcast, but before I do, let me go ahead and read my letter to my future hubby. And it reads, today I took care, oh, dear future hubby, this one was written on today, <laughs> January 18th, 2021. It says, dear future hubby, today I took care of a lot of business. Sometimes I wish I had a personal assistant. Trust me, I understand that there are options made available to assist busy people with their everyday tasks. However, that takes a level of trust concerning your personal and business affairs that I am not ready to surrender. Now, I understand why some celebrities hire their relatives. I remember when my mom and I went to go see, he shall remain nameless, <laughs> rest in peace. Well, we went to go see him live. At the end of the show, he would take pictures with his fans with his personal Polaroid camera. Then he would take the money and place the money in a duffel bag that never left his side or sight. There were people around him, but it appeared that the only person he could trust with his money was himself. Well, I hope this will not always be the case for me, but I've heard so many horror stories. I pray you are well. I love you. Love, Teresa. So I hope that y'all are having a blessed and prosperous Sunday. Monday. Today is Monday. Oh my goodness. We had a three-day weekend. So I hope that you're having a blessed and prosperous Monday. And yes, today is supposed to be, what well, today is President's Day. Um, so it's a holiday. But nevertheless... Please do me a huge favor and take care of yourself because there is only one you. Signing out, your girl, Teresa. Bye. Hello, everyone. It's your girl, Teresa, and welcome to Dear Future Hubby, the podcast. And I am your host, Teresa Reese. Y'all know how we do it. So I'm going to start off with an actual poem from my book of poetry called A Strong-Willed Mind, Healing Scars Over Time Through My Poetry. And the name of this poem is called My Unborn Baby. A very bright person I was sure you would be. And it may have been rough for us in the beginning. But that didn't matter because I wanted my baby. We started facing complications and I began to doubt, but I wouldn't dare blame God if you didn't stick around. I was very emotionally and physically drained. 
yet I was certain that from God, new strength I would gain. So as I continued to pray, I kept hoping for the very best, putting total faith in God, trusting Him to do the rest. But if you left, I would not forget the fluttering I felt inside or your first kick. I wanted to give birth to you, my unborn baby, but unfortunately I was plagued with a sudden miscarriage. My heart broke when I lost you and the tears kept falling as I held you in the palm of my hand. You were oh so very small. You were beautiful with features so strong. Forever in my thoughts you will always be. As God holds you near to his heart, I'll carry you in mine permanently. I will always love you. May you rest in peace, my unborn baby. So tonight I want to talk about my miscarriage. I am the mother of three living children. However, I did experience a miscarriage. I was four and a half months old and I was battling not only the thought of having my baby, but I had, literally I was going through a lot. So the father of the child, um, we hadn't known each other long. And of course that was in the back of my mind in terms of, do I gotta do the single parenting thing all over again? Is he gonna be a present parent? Um, then he also was in some stuff that I just couldn't really co-sign for. And so, um, I ended up, actually, I started dating someone else. And the person that I was dating, he didn't make the situation better either, looking back. So, he was very selfish, very self-centered. And, um... Literally, I guess the stress of it all, the stress of me being pregnant by this one dude that pretty much just had a very scary um, lifestyle, something that, you know, I probably should have did my homework before I laid with him. But yeah, back in that day, I wanted what I wanted when I wanted it. And so um, and the way he approached me made it even made the whole situation more enticing to be with him um, because he he handled me in a way that I had never been handled. And so it took me off. It literally took me by storm and it took me, it put me off guard. And so, um, you know, looking back, all it was was game. But honey, he has some tight game. <laughs> he has some tight game. So um, needless to say, I ended up getting impregnated. I ended up um, finding out that he was not the most faithful of persons. And I'm sure he wondered many a times, how in the world did I find that out? Um, however, if I don't do anything, I pray. So the word of God says that whatever is done in the dark shall be exposed to the light. And it didn't matter that I was from Austin and he lived in Dallas and that I was new to Dallas. It did that. None of that mattered. Because at the end of the day, God revealed to me everything about this man. The things that he never even thought about sharing. So when I entered into, yes, I was still pregnant. 
But when I entered into this new relationship, the person that I was dating, you know, they always show you the representative, at least some people do. And so over course of time, he started causing me more stress. And I don't know if it was intentional. You know, I never know because I've never really had a conversation with him after after all of that went down. But um, I remember knowing that something was wrong. So I went to the hospital and I'll never forget the nurse. She just gave me this look. And when she gave me this, the look, it was like that, oh my God, like how do I tell her this news? And so I'm looking. She was checking for the heartbeat or checking my vitals or something. So maybe when the nurse, I think it's the doctor. Anyway, <laughs> this has been so long ago. I've had two brain surgeries since this. But anyway, so somebody told me, the doctor or the nurse, somebody um, gave me the look. And then after a few minutes, I guess they had to process it first. She was like, I don't hear a heartbeat. And I don't know why I wasn't shocked. Part of me was actually relieved. And I know for some people that's terrible to say, but this is my truth. So they gave me something for the fetus to pass. And I remember because this would have been the fifth child that I gave birth to. No, I'm saying this wrong. This would have been the fourth child that I gave birth to. And so I remember trying to push my child out because it was something that I did with the three previous children. And the nurse grabbed me by my arm and she said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm trying to push the baby out. And she was like, honey, there's no need to do that. The baby is gone. And it took a minute for it to register that I was not going to give birth to a living being. I already knew what it felt like to give birth to a living being because I'd done it three times before. I never knew what it was like to literally give birth or push out a dead fetus. And so she asked me after the fetus came out, I was four and a half months pregnant. She said, would you like to hold him? And they went through this process and they, um, you know, were, they were telling me what was going to happen. They were telling me that there's a garden at the hospital. If I ever want to go see him, that I'll be able to go see him. They took pictures. Um, in the course of my moving, I lost all of that. But I will never forget his face. So he was going to be a dark chocolate baby. <laughs> his little features were coming in. His skin color was coming in on the top of his forehead. His eyes were closed, of course. And he was going to be so handsome. And his name was Damon Jeremiah. And I held him in the palm of my hand. I spoke to him. I made peace with the fact that I lost him. I asked him to be with God, go with God. I let him know that I was sorry that I could not be present. And I just held him and looked at him and gazed upon him. And they let me for a minute. And then eventually they were like, okay, it's, you know, we got to go ahead and take him. And so, um, 
they cremated them and then they buried the ashes in their garden. And so I know what it's like to have a miscarriage. And I know that everything happens for a reason because had Damon not passed away, then I would not have my 19 year old Josh. And I'm grateful for my children, all of them. I'm grateful for just knowing that I'm the vessel that was chosen even for Damon. So I know what it feels like to lose a child. And I've lost a child in more senses or more ways than one. I lost custody of my three oldest children early on in my life. So I know what that pain feels like. I felt it on every level, but I also know how faithful God is. So I wanted to share that with you, future hubby, that that is a part of my past and that I do know what it's like to lose a loved one. So this is going to conclude my podcast on tonight and my letter to my dear future hubby. I will read that and then conclude. And it was written on January the 19th of 2021. It says, dear future hubby, I am grateful that I've learned the art of forgiveness, forgiving not only myself, but those who have caused me harm emotionally, physically, psychologically, and even spiritually. There's truly liberty in that. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. My prayer for you is that you have also mastered the art of forgiveness. It is necessary, especially in wedlock. Well, I will end this love letter to you with this. May God reveal to you each and every area of your life that has been affected by unforgiveness from family to friends and even to acquaintances. May you find it in his strength to forgive anyone who has offended you, whether knowingly or unknowingly, so that you can experience true liberty in Christ. May God continue to cover you throughout your days. I love you. Love, Teresa. This will conclude my podcast on tonight. And as I always say, take care of yourself because there is only one you. Bye.